You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, the podcast for marketing professionals in higher education. Join us every week as we talk to the industry's greatest minds in student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where marketing in higher ed is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. My name is Troy Singer, and I am grateful that I get to co-host this with one of my close friends, Bart Kaler, each and every week where our goal is to talk to higher ed marketers that we admire and get from them things that the entire higher ed marketing community can benefit from. Today, we talk to Jen McCready. She is the Senior Director of Enrollment Marketing in the Division of Enrollment Management at Baylor University. And today we talk to her about strategies and tips of creating high-performing teams. And Bart, she gives us a wealth of knowledge within the 35 minutes or so we were able to speak with her. Oh, yeah. And this is just, uh, you know, we have these episodes every now and then. I love them because it's just so packed full of very practical tips and ideas. And I think that she does a really good job of kind of talking about how she builds trust in her teams and how she kind of creates a culture around that. And, and that's kind of an extension therein of the Baylor brand. But I think that um, she really kind of really gives us a lot of really practical advice that I think this is uh, something that you definitely want to, if you're listening to it on the road, maybe make some bookmarks uh, or go back and, and listen to it later to take some notes. But this is such a really good episode. I agree, Bart. Here's our conversation with Jen McCready. Jen, we are delighted that you are joining us on the podcast to share from your experience and your expertise strategies on creating a high-functioning work environment within higher ed enrollment. But as you probably know, we like to start out our conversations with putting you on the spot a little bit. So would like to ask you to share something that you've learned recently that you would deem fun, interesting, something that might make people smile. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Okay, so something that I've learned this week is that I'm no longer cool. I am not cool anymore. I beg to differ. Why do you say? <laughs> <laughs> I think the older I get, the more I'm realizing that I am farther and farther away from the students that I'm trying to market to. And so I need to rely on people closer to that demographic in making almost all of my um, decisions when it comes to what's cool out there these days. So we've got um, a, an amazing social media coordinator on my team who creates the best TikTok videos. And more often than not, I'm like, I do not understand this at all, but I am just trusting you that this is going to go well. That's an immense amount of trust to just be like, sure, post this to the entire world on behalf of Baylor admissions, and hopefully it goes well because I don't get it. And then sure enough, the ones that I don't understand are the ones that have the highest engagement, that have the best comments. I mean, it's just incredible. So I'm officially no longer cool and I don't get these younger kids, but you know, we're making it work. Well, I'm not going to accept your 
uh, statement that you're no longer cool, but I do agree with what you're doing with your ambassadors of your brand. And I think it's something that goes to what we're going to talk about, the trust that you have in your staff to execute that for you. Before we get into it, if you would tell us a little bit about Baylor and a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I've been working at Baylor University for about seven years now. And for those who don't know, Baylor, it's a mid-sized private Christian university that's really focused on high levels of research. And we've got great Big 12 D1 sports. So it's a really fun environment to be a part of. And I oversee the enrollment management marketing team here. Wonderful. And how long have you been there? For seven years now. Very good. And one of the reasons why we wanted to highlight you is through someone else that had been on the podcast, we were introduced to you and the fact of you have a management style that works very well, that is high functioning, but you really emphasize on being a non-micromanager. And to the point that we can create a conversation and describe that and get that out, we would love to have that conversation with you. So if you can give us a little background on the reason why you feel this works, why you execute it, and some of the details to get the conversation started. Absolutely. And I just want to say thank you to Liz Rainwater, who recommended me for this podcast. She did an awesome job discussing how to build trust with prospective students in the admissions process. And so for this purpose, I'm focusing more on trust within your own culture and department. And so I just think it's a great partnership here, both talking about trust, just different audiences that you're building that trust with. Thank you, Jen. And can you give us a snapshot of how your team, the size of your team and how that is constructed at Baylor? Absolutely. So we have a group of about 12 professional staff members on the enrollment management marketing team. And so That group consists of digital professionals who are doing emails, website, social media, PowerPoint presentations, all of that fun stuff. We've got a mailroom operation that's handling all of the incoming and outgoing mail, print fulfillment, and we've got a marketing strategist who analyzes all of our communications and really tells us what's working, what's not working with our subject lines, which are with our click-through rates really allowing us to drill into what initiatives are impacting the most people in the most strategic way. And so that's been paramount for us as well. Something that makes us unique is that we're not just an admissions marketing team, we are an enrollment management marketing team. And so we advertise to, of course, prospective students to try to get them to apply and enroll, but then we're also communicating with them about their financial aid and their scholarships and their enrollment throughout their entire four years of their time at Baylor. And so we're working with a lot of different audiences and we've got a very consistent brand message throughout the entire time that they're interacting with us. So we've got financial aid communications, professional staff members who are sitting right next to people on the admissions team. And so they're constantly talking about What are you saying here? How do you phrase this so that our messaging across the board is very consistent and accurate? Thank you. And I smile when I ask this because it's hard when someone says, well, tell me why you guys are so good. But (laughs) we do know that you are known and your team is known 
for having a lot of trust, being happy, being high functioning, and you having a non-micromanaging style. So to the degree that we're able to go into that conversation, I would like to unpack it so it's very evident for others that are listening so they can get the nuggets and they can have the learnings. So maybe if you can share with us the philosophy of what you're trying to create, and then we can then dig deeper into the specifics and some of the ways that you feel you're creating this environment. So I think it kind of goes back to, I think we've all had experience with a micromanager and that makes us feel like we're not trusted, like we're almost treated as babies or not competent. And, you know, when it comes down to it, we're all adults and we've all been hired for a very specific reason. And so a philosophy that I've adopted over the last several years is, look, I hired experts for a reason. So I want to let them do their thing and do what they're good at because they're, they were hired for a reason. And Honestly, in higher ed, I don't think any of us have time to be micromanagers. Like, it's the most efficient process to say, okay, great, you've got this handled. I am officially taking it off of my plate and moving on with my life because I want you to deal with it. And you can have full ownership over this. And then if you fail, then we both fail. And I honestly, I don't take credit for this. When I first started here, my leader, she was a great mentor of mine. And she said, look, if someone else on your team can do it, then they probably should do it. And so this will allow you to do the things that only you can do. We are all experts in our own way. So if you're doing something that literally someone else on your team can do, then let them do that so that you can focus on your expertise that no one else can do. Jen, I love the way you're saying that. And one thing I want to clarify a little bit, because I know sometimes I think you're very intentional in the way that you're not micromanaging. Help me understand how that might be different from, I also see sometimes when I go into places that the leadership just doesn't understand some of the things that are within their portfolio. And it's real easy for them to kind of say, well, I just trust my team to go take care of that. But a lot of times they're not asking the hard questions that help their team be better. How does that kind of work with your style? I think something that I do regularly is ask my team how I can help them. And I don't think a lot of managers actually take the time to do that. I think they're so busy with their own work or with just everybody getting their own work done that they're not asking how they can make their team's work life better and more efficient. I think that's a really good point because I think that asking how you can help them, I mean, that gives people the permission to say, well, if you actually did this or you could help me with this, you're not micromanaging at that point. You're actually empowering them. And I think, that's, I think that's a really good perspective on that. So tell me a little bit about you know, what led you to this approach. I mean, how did you establish this trust and the clear expectations with your team? Because that's not something that everybody normally does because I think the natural idea, as especially as new managers or new directors, leadership, we tend to try to micromanage just to make sure that everybody's doing it correctly. How did you kind of come into this as well as, I mean, I know you had a really good mentor, but just from the ins and outs, the practicality of it, how do you establish that trust and set those clear expectations? Yeah, I think it's a lot of trial and error. So you don't (laughs) get it perfect in the beginning. 
When I started at Baylor, there were four people on the admissions marketing team, and now we have 12. And right after I started, the person who does all the emails left, and I had to learn his entire job. And long story short, I've basically had to learn every job on the admissions marketing team, for better or worse. But that's actually helped me gain a lot of empathy for what I'm asking my team to do on a daily basis, because I've actually done that job and I know what I'm asking. I can put myself in their shoes. Yeah. I, I lo- and I'm just going to point that out for a second. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think it's important because it goes to what I said earlier about the fact that I think because you've done that job, or at least you have asked enough questions to understand that job, that allows you to then ask the questions that are going to help your team be empowered and also give you the ability to let them ask the questions that can give them that empowerment. So I love that. I just wanted to make sure that I highlight that because I think that's a really critical point. So please continue on. So over time, I've learned that it's really actually pretty easy to establish trust. And, you know, we marketers, we like to have listicles and BuzzFeed type articles. And so I, I know how to establish trust with five easy tips. So The first tip is train, train, train. You know, you can't just let someone loose and throw them off into the deep end. You have to train them and train them well and extensively. So that's the first one. And then the second one is setting clear expectations. So for instance, this is kind of a running joke on my team, but if I forward you an email, that officially is out of my head and it's on you to handle. And I know 100% you're going to handle that because we've built that trust and we've set up those clear expectations. Number three, you follow through with those expectations. And sometimes that's scary. When you've got a new person, you've trained them, you've set those expectations, and then you forward that email to them and you just file it away. And then maybe they don't you know, live up to that expectation. <laughs> that's still you following through with your expectations. You are doing what you said you were going to do, and it's on them to follow through with their end of the bargain. So number four is to stay available for questions, but get out of their way. So I know there's a common phrase that, you know, you hire the experts and then get out of their way. That's sort of true, but I think it's you hire the experts, you stay available for them. <laughs> And then you get out of the way. So there's that willingness to still be a part of it if they need you. And it's on them to reach out to you if they have any questions or concerns. But otherwise, you're going to treat them like an adult and stay out of their way because they're the expert. And then the fifth tip is to let them fail and give real-time feedback. So I think it's never a great idea when they hear feedback for the very first time at their performance appraisal. We like to give them in the moment, real-time feedback, and that allows them to be fresh on what just happened and know that they can change it for the next time. So those are my five tips. These are great. And I'm just going to kind of go back and unpack these a little bit with you, if you don't mind. But obviously, I think everybody's going to say, okay, train, yeah, train, check, we did that. But I think your point is that it's train, then train, then train. It's not a one week, then check the box and you're done. Tell me more about that. So at Baylor specifically, we have extensive training and, you know, we're all in higher ed. So the training is, that's what we do. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's what we're known for. Right. But at Baylor, we have a solid two to three week training program called Bear Camp because we're the Baylor Bears. So we call it Bear Camp where new employees attend, you know, of course, all the HR type trainings, but then they train 
in all of our admissions policies, our best practices, terminology. You know, I came from corporate retail, so I had no idea what people were talking about when they were using certain acronyms or or other higher Let's, let's talk about yield or let's talk about melt and that type right. of thing. Right. I remember someone said, you know, yeah, when you do the name buys. And I was like, what are name buys? <laughs> exactly. Are buying names? <laughs> so anyway, we trained extensively. We have two to three weeks of training for all new employees. And then honestly, every meeting turns into a training opportunity as we're talking through updates and explaining acronyms. And, you know, it's a lot of training. We even have a, you know, a bear camp graduation ceremony for people who've gone through all of those trainings. So it's very extensive and even training on the culture. And that's a big one that I don't think a lot of groups do, but we have a whole culture training and a whole leadership training on, you know, best practices as leaders on our team and just Hey, in our culture, we set up our meeting schedules this way and we have our, we sign off on our emails like this. So very extensive culture training as well. That's great. And I think the culture training also starts to do that second point with setting those clear expectations. I mean, in a way you're doing that, but I really like this idea of if I forward you in an email, I'm passing the baton. I might start to do that. Tell me more about that. I mean, if you do that, it'll change your life. Like it is the most freeing thing as a manager to trust the people on your team so well that you can delegate to them and trust that they will just handle it. And I think, of course, that comes into play when you're hiring. You really have to hire well. You have to, you know, go through multiple rounds of hiring to ensure that not only will they fit your culture, but they will fit your expectations on ownership and that they're okay with delegation and they're okay with you being there for them, but not hand-holding them. So it's just all like the hiring process is so important. And we really tailor our questions very appropriately for what we're expecting them to do. I love how a lot of these five tips, they kind of weave together. I mean, it's almost like the cord of five strands, if you will. But the idea, because this third one is following through with those expectations. So you've trained them. They know what the expectations are. And sometimes if they don't follow through, they go to number five, which they fail and you give feedback. But I mean, that that's, I mean, for managers, sometimes that's kind of scary as to number three, follow through with those expectations, because if they do it, you get to reward them and you get to praise them. If they don't, it's an opportunity for them to learn from their failures. Correct. And sometimes following through with those expectations, you can kind of take baby steps with that. You don't have to follow through with the first big project and, you know, watch them fail big. <laughs> But it does take intentionality and, and what I've heard other people talk about, this courageous leadership in higher ed. I mean, it's easier just to kind of let things go and uh, I'll just let that pass. But if you're not on top of it and you're not intentional, you're never going to create this culture. Is that true? Yes, that's absolutely true. And it's also easier to just be on their toes about everything too. You know, it's sometimes it can feel easier to just say like, oh, it's going to take them too long to learn that or you know, it's easier if I just handle it for them. But ultimately, you're just adding more work to yourself because you're not only doing your own work, but you're checking in on everything they're doing. It's exhausting. Yeah, but you are available for the questions, which is the opposite of trying to be exhausting, that you are back and standing back and waiting. You're, you've got that attitude that I'm open for that. So I'm sure that makes a difference, especially for some of the new hires. Yes, it's kind of a safety net, you know, like we're here to support you, but we also want you to lead and 
be an expert in what you do. You were hired for a reason. You weren't hired to just do exactly what you were told. You were hired to come to the table with, you know, your own expertise based on your skills and your talents. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, on this last one, I just want to unpack this for a second because letting people fail, I think that it's a little bit like, you know, I, I have four kids and I remember when they were little, you know, you, you have to let them touch that stove and you have to let them do those things that you're just inherently are like, no, don't do that. But you have to let them so that they can learn. But at the same time, I think it's also, it, it takes a lot of intentionality because you can also react really quickly and change the opportunity for them to fail and turn it into shame. So that's a, a tightrope. So describe that. Letting them fail is probably the hardest part of this whole process. None of us like to fail. None of us think that that's fun. And especially as a new employee or semi-new employee, it's not fun to fail when you're trying to prove yourself that you're trustworthy. And we all have the best of intentions, but we all fail. Like we are human beings on planet earth. We're going to fail. But I think as a manager, it's so important to let that happen because that really is one of the only ways you're going to learn. I can remember vividly the times that I've failed and I know we all can, but I've learned from that and I've put in safeguards to not let that happen again. And so that's a big piece of the culture on the marketing team is that, look, it is okay to fail as long as you don't make that mistake again and you put safeguards in place to learn from it and make sure you don't miss that next time. So we've put in so many, you know, we have a pre-flight checklist now on emails where all of the regular mistakes that kept getting made are now on this pre-flight checklist before we launch it to the world. And that's something that saves us over and over and over again. That's great. And I, I love the fact that these are really practical tips that you can do, but I, I love the fact that you've articulated them and, and actually put it in a way that's very, very usable. So thank you. Jen, are there identical advantages either to you as the leader or maybe to the team overall that are the result of this management style or this understanding that your team knows and has? I really think it makes everyone more efficient to know what they're good at and to get the ownership that they deserve over things. And there have been many happy surprises that have come out of this work style and this management style. For instance, you know, just the other day, I let someone lead a meeting that, you know, they'd never led before and it builds their confidence and built their public speaking skills and also provided them with, you know, enhanced visibility among other people that they don't get to interact with. And so by delegating and allowing people to branch out and try new things and take that ownership it really can open up the door for more opportunity for them in their professional careers. That's great. And I love the fact that you're kind of trying and testing and trialing and moving on. And it, it's, it might be a little bit messy sometimes, I'm sure, but that's part of building trust and part of relationships. And I mean, I, I think where the problems happen and, and I'm just going to kind of put, put a contrast again, the style against the style of what you're doing and, what I've seen sometimes happens elsewhere is somebody fails, you know what, we're going to, we're going to put it on their, their, their note, or we're going to call HR. We're going to put them on a PIP later on. And it just ends up being a lot more and it, it doesn't help build that trust. 
And so I love the fact that you're kind of very, being very intentional about that. And then, you know, talk a little bit about just the idea of, of how this then kind of facilitates kind of your tight knit community. Cause I'm sure you have a pretty tight team. If you have a lot of trust, we have a very tight team. We have such a great culture and I think just building that trust and having that culture built from the top down really allows everyone to just um, lean on each other and trust each other rather than, you know, some teams are really competitive with each other. And this team, they know what they're good at. They jump in and everyone feels the freedom to take a vacation because the rest of the team can take care of them. And it's just a really good give and take relationship on this team. You know, a lot of people on the marketing team have been here for over five years, which is sometimes unheard of in marketing specifically because marketers by nature just want to jump around and keep getting raises at different jobs, but they are staying here in higher ed marketing at the same college for more than five years, which just is a testament to our culture on our team you know, I'm only talking about the professional culture, but our team has a fun time outside of the office too, which also attributes to our just great relationship and trust. Tell me how you celebrate a project. I mean, that, that's intriguing to me because I think that everybody does it differently, but especially with a team that has high trust, how do you guys celebrate? Oh, we celebrate a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> so, I mean, we have happy hours. We go out to lunches. We actually, a month or two ago, we went to a rage room. Have y'all heard of a rage room? No, no, please, <laughs> please enlighten us. Yeah, so Waco has a rage room where you can go, you put on safety goggles and gloves and you can just smash stuff in a room. <laughs> with a I love that. Bat. And we did that after we had, you know, finished our admission cycle successfully and we just needed to let off some steam. And I tell you what, that's some therapy right there. And that's some team building. We just got in a room and smashed some stuff together. It was uh, awesome. That's great. And so I, I think before we get onto the next question, I want to just kind of tease out a little bit. And you talked about how hard it is to let people fail and, and as a manager, but how do you actually work when that trust is broken? Because I mean, that's going to be part of it that you know, we've talked a lot about the positive sides of building that. But again, we're human, we fail, but sometimes that trust is broken in ways that it's really hard. Yeah, it is really hard. And having that trust broken, you have to follow through. Like I said, you have to follow through with your end of the bargain. And that results in some really tough conversations. And sometimes that means that it's not the right place for that staff member. And really doing that, though, ultimately shows the rest of your team what you're willing to do to maintain your culture and the trust. Because if someone's not pulling their weight, then everyone else is suffering as well because they're pulling that person's weight too. I think I think that's really good to point out because I've been on too many, I've kind of come in in the wake of some of this stuff. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking of a couple of times when there's somebody on the team that's just not pulling their weight. Everybody knows that, but everybody doesn't really want to do that. And, you know, they think they're creating a better environment by doing that, but they're breaking the trust of the other five people that are not, you know, that, that are doing their work, that are building hard things. So you're actually breaking trust when you're doing that and not addressing it. So exactly, I think that's a really good thing to kind of point out and just bring to light for everybody so that they can um, move on to that and, and really keep that in mind as they're working through that. Jen, if we can switch gears a little, because not only are you passionate about the management style and the high efficient 
way that you run the office, but you also are very passionate about brand management and also retention. So can we dive into that topic as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Something that I think is happening more nationwide now, but that it's pretty new at Baylor is that we are an enrollment management division, not just admissions, not just financial aid or student accounts. We are enrollment management, which encompasses all of those um, divisions, including a pretty brand new one-stop customer service team. And so something that is really fun for our marketing team is that we um, now serve and communicate for all of those divisions. So that means that we are, um, of course, promoting Baylor to prospective students in high school. And then, of course, through their senior year of the application process. But then we keep communicating with them throughout their four plus years at Baylor about all of their financial aid information, scholarship information, et cetera. And so I think that's been really a fun challenge for us to figure out the best way of keeping that messaging cons consistent year over year and making sure that the student is hearing from one singular voice with Baylor. And how does that you know practically work? Because you're going to have to maintain that brand messaging throughout the student's journey you know, maybe as a junior or even earlier, as, as Liz told us in her podcast, how do you kind of keep that consistency while keeping it fresh and, and something that they're looking at? Well, I think it really helps that now the enrollment management marketing team is one big team that we're on. So we have 12 people, like I said. And so in our division, we've got financial aid communication, professional staff members sitting next to admission staff members who are doing all the marketing. And so we have someone who can do the same graphic design and same email templates for all of these emails. And so it looks like we are the same, which we are, but it <laughs> yeah. looks like it's coming from Baylor and not just Baylor financial aid or Baylor admissions. It's just Baylor. The student honestly does not care what department you're in. They just see you as Baylor. And so it's really important to us that everything is consistent so that we can maintain that consistency, which also builds trust. And do you have like some examples of how that's, that's worked specifically for some of those students? I mean, a lot of times it's kind of like, you know, we talk a lot about it, but yeah, actually here's a way that it's worked. So tell us a little bit about that. I think ultimately it's been really great learning a lot about the financial aid process. So I was hired to do admissions and then that evolved over time into enrollment management. So I've had to learn, again, all of the financial aid buzzwords, all of the terminology, but it's been really helpful because I came in very green and very new to that whole world, which is honestly the same perspective that our students have coming into the financial aid world. And so I think that brought a new perspective on how to speak about financial aid in an easy to understand way. Like, just like students, I'm asking, what does this acronym mean? And so we have now created a dictionary on our website for top used financial aid and admissions words so that these new students can understand what we are talking about when we're communicating with them. That's great. And so uh, one thing, I mean, we've constantly talked about this. Carrie Phillips talked about it on a couple of episodes ago. Tim Fuller mentioned it, just this looming en enrollment cliff that we've got coming up. And so everybody's talking about that hired marketers. If you're not talking about it, you need to be talking about it. But even as we talk about some of this thing about, you know, doing marketing for enrollment management, the entire life cycle of, of a student's journey, 
how do you think that that schools can you know better adapt to serve their student body so that they can you know retain more students they can see more students through graduation because i mean even if you could increase your retention rate year over year that that continues to fill up the funnel you know even before you have to recruit those you know rising seniors so talk about that for a moment yeah for us retention has continued to grow year over year and i really attribute that to our well, a lot of factors, but we have a one-stop customer service team that I mentioned, and they exist just to help students with all of those incoming questions about financial aid, even the admissions process in some cases. And so they have a new office that's right in the heart of campus that students can visit them and get all their questions answered. And that's for both prospective and current students. And that has been so helpful for students to feel like they have someone who will listen to them and help them throughout their entire journey at Baylor. Um, We also have biweekly matriculation working group meetings that include representatives from admissions, housing, advising, new student programs. And that's just making sure we're all aligned as students funnel through that matriculation process. So it's really just making sure the right hand's talking to the left hand and we're all saying the same thing. accurate, we're helpful, we're consistent. And I think that's builds trust right there with the student. I love that. And I'm going to just point that out again. If somebody's just kind of listening, driving down the, the road, those are two really good ideas that Jen just gave you this one-stop customer service, because as a prospective student, the student knows if I ever have a question, I can just call my admissions counselor and somebody's going to be kind of a concierge to help me walk through financial aid questions or help me figure out where I am with housing. There's kind of that concierge. The fact that they're taking the time to create that one-stop experience while the student has already matriculated and they're on campus, I think that's a brilliant move. And I think that's something that all higher ed marketers ought to kind of you know, steal that idea because that could really help you with your retention. And then I also just love this idea of this biweekly matriculation group because that's where a lot of that melt happens. A lot of the students fall through the crack because, well, I thought you were talking to them. I thought you were talking to them. And all of a sudden it's like, well, we just lost 50 students that we were planning on having because nobody talked to them. And so I think that's a really good couple of really good points that I just want everybody to kind of recognize and, and rewind by 30 seconds if you need to hear it again. So, Jen, you've given us so much during our time together today, but I'm going to ask you for one more thing. And that's if there's a piece of advice that you could give us that you recommend that someone could implement soon after hearing it. Do you have anything you can share with us as we wind down our episode together? Absolutely. I think leaders can do this next thing so easily in the next second of their time. They can go and talk to each person on their team and just ask them honestly, what is one thing I can do right now to help you, one, enjoy your work more, and two, get your work done more effectively. We're not just about effectiveness, we're about wanting to enjoy your work. And if there's a, if there's something I can do that I haven't thought of to help you enjoy that, I want to help you do that. I really feel like managing, it's a two-way street. You're not just delegating your work, you're asking how you can help them. And your job as a leader is to build a team of leaders a deeper bench and facilitate all of their professional goals. You ultimately want them to grow into leaders so that you're not just this one big leader managing a bunch of people who are just doing what you tell them to do. You want to be a leader of leaders so that they can then empower their people to be leaders. 
Yes, I was just thinking you put the perfect exclamation point at the end of our conversation. So thank you so much, Jen. Again, we've been talking to Jen McCready. She is the Senior Director of Enrollment Marketing in the Division of Enrollment Management at Baylor University. Jen, for those who would like to continue a conversation with you after hearing the podcast, what would be the best way for them to contact you? Yes, it's just Jennifer underscore McCready. M-C-C-R-A-D-Y at Again, Jen, thank you so much for creating a conversation that I think others can gain a lot from. We appreciate you putting it in a very fun and interesting way. Thank you for having me. Bart, what are your final thoughts before we close our episode today? Three quick things that I just wanted to kind of rise to the top. One, I love that last point, be a leader of leaders. I think that will drastically change your job if you can take that attitude and that's going to kind of roll up everything else that we've talked about today. So I love that. I love going back and looking at those five tips on how to establish trust, you know, that train, 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 set clear expectations, follow through with expectations, you know, always stay available for questions, but get out of the way. Love that. And then let them fail and give them real-time feedback. I think that's one way that you can build the trust, but it's also one way that's just going to make your job much more enjoyable as a leader. And then finally, I just love those two ideas of being able to have that one-stop customer service spot for your current students. I love that idea. And I really like the the practical advice of just having that bi-weekly matriculation working meeting where you're getting everybody who's kind of helping pull those students into campus, the prospective students. That will be a game changer if you can do that. And that's going to mitigate your melt. So great ideas, Jen. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. I'm going to add that the final two questions that she gave us is what can we do to make your job easier and what can we do to make your job more enjoyable was a wonderful last piece of advice. So again, I thank all of you for creating a wonderful and informative episode. I'd also like to thank, as always, Rob Conlon at Westport Studios, who was our producer. And we'd like to thank our supporters. Kaler Solutions, an education, marketing, and branding agency, and Ring Digital, accurately and precisely connecting colleges directly to the devices of their prospects, inquiries, and alumni on their most valued physical mailing list. On behalf of Jen, our guest, Bart, and myself, Troy, thank you for joining us. You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. The Higher Ed Marketer is a production of Kaler Solutions and Ring Digital in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by guests on The Higher Ed Marketer are their own and may not reflect the views and opinions of their organization. Know someone who's a mover and a shaker in higher ed marketing? Visit www.higheredmarketerpodcast.com and click on our Contact Us page. We'd love to have you tell us about them. Until next time.